The second video didn't play even though I clicked it. It's fine. We're going to just go with it. We're going to roll with it. It does. It, yeah, whatever, whatever. Anyways, welcome to Recover Out Loud, episode number 56. Brought to you by the Antisocial Network. Today we have a pretty awesome guest. Her name is Tiffany Herring from Greenville, North Carolina. How are you doing, Tiffany? Good. Thanks for having me, Sean. Ah, thank you for, for being on and volunteering some time to come and hang out with me. Uh, would you like to give a formal introduction of yourself? Yeah, sure. Uh, my name is Tiffany Herring. I am from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, uh, currently living in Greenville, North Carolina. I come from a law enforcement family, and so I got into the family business whenever I graduated from high school, just figured it was best to do what I know. So I worked in law enforcement for about 15 years before making a transition over to mental health. And I think that was really what was eye opening uh, because really the criminal justice system and the mental health care system, you know, there's some blurred lines there. there there's a lot of, you know, crossover. And so I initially um, began working with crisis intervention team training, which is a 40 hour training for law enforcement and learning, you know, about mental health and crisis intervention and de-escalation. I really just started thinking, you know, I think it's great that we're driving this point with law enforcement, but how many people, how many professions need to know de-escalation skills? So that was really me taking the information that we, that we were teaching law enforcement and figuring out, okay, how can we teach this to medical professionals, customer service staff, um, managers, really anybody who's in the business of people and needs to learn how to communicate. That's awesome. That's pretty awesome. And uh, before, we dive into into all that. I want to say thank you for everything that you've done for your community because it's huge. You. I don't think that people in law enforcement or mental health or, you know, anybody that holds a position where they're of service get enough credit. So thank you. Thank you. Uh, yeah. So also before we get into it, uh, being from Pittsburgh, are you a Steelers fan? Please say no. <laughs> I am, but you know, I'm not really the, the sports kind of girl anyway. I watch Bravo and Housewives, and that's how I unwind from all of the all of the serious work that I do during the day. So yeah. I'll watch well, the Steelers, but you know, I'm I'm more over there on Bravo. <laughs> it's not it's not a priority on your list. No, no. Whether they win or lose, you know. I, I'm more concerned with um college basketball in North Carolina, because that's what my husband is really, you know. I, I just like state to win because I know it makes him happy. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know there's that huge rivalry, you know. Uh, so, uh, how do you and how, what what are your your thoughts and feelings about living in North Carolina? Why did you choose to live in North Carolina? I moved down here to go to East Carolina University, um, and I just decided to stay. It's a really um, beautiful state. I really love what we're doing here as far as mental health. Um, and I just really wanted to, I really wanted to stay and just be a part of change. You know, it's, um, especially Eastern North Carolina where I live, it's very rural. And so one of the things that I spend my days doing is really just, um, being able to help some of these smaller communities, smaller counties be able to access services, because think of how, you know, difficult that is if you live in a, in a 
town of, you know, 200 people, you probably don't have a hospital. You probably have to drive a while to get there. You probably have maybe one or two providers and you certainly probably don't have a mental health professional or psychologist or, or therapist or something like that. So um, I really like looking at at gaps and needs and services and and figuring out how we can get people in rural North Carolina to be able to access mental health care. That's pretty awesome. And that's really admirable. I, I mean that. Um, I, I'd say North Carolina is probably my, fe- my my second favorite state, you know, that I've been to. Uh, Tennessee being my first. I don't know if you've been to Tennessee, but Tennessee is gorgeous. Yeah. Absolutely gorgeous. I just love um, having the option of the beach is this way and the mountains are this way. I can have a little boat. It's beautiful. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. I was actually at the beach a few weeks uh, last weekend uh, out at, uh, out at, uh, Outer Banks, Kitty Hawk area. Nice, and very nice. I've never been there. I've I've been to Wrightsville, and I've obviously uh, been to uh, Beach Wilmington. I've been there, mm-hmm. but never been to Kitty Hawk, and I was like impressed. Yeah, Beautiful. Outer Banks <laughs> is going to be more of a laid back kind of quieter beaches, and that's what I like. So yeah, yeah, not not <laughs> too many like- tourists all over the place. Yeah, yeah, I I, I heard that 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 Outer Banks is where everybody goes to avoid the, the tourists from Wrightsville. <laughs> so yeah. Well, I mean, it, it really, and it really depends on the time of year too. I mean, I, I love going this time of year and in the fall, whenever there's not a lot of, you know, students and families coming in. Cause there are a lot of, uh, I, I include myself in this. There's a lot of Yankees coming down, um, you know, to hit the beaches in the summertime. So um but yeah, it, it, it's beautiful. And it is, it's one of the, the most beautiful um, beaches, you know, coming south. If you live in Pennsylvania, Maryland, that you hit. So it's, it's a great spot. Absolutely. Absolutely. I can't wait to go there in the summer. I'm excited. I'm going to take a few trips out there in the summertime, but that's not what we're here. We're not here for me. We're here for you. So uh, let's talk about your book. Uh, what is the title of your book and what does it cover? Sure. My book is simply Deescalate. I just wanted a really easy title that I felt was attention grabbing. Um, and, and like I said, I really wanted to convert a lot of these skills for the lay individual and really just make a blueprint of what exactly do I need to be saying and doing when I'm in these you know, intense, high conflict um, crisis situations. So um, I just think that there's a lot of really great tips in there and just it's less than a hundred pages. It's just really a really simple guide to be able to get, I like getting right to the point, you know, just like YouTube, just like, you know, TikTok. people want to get right to the point. So that was really um, intentional. Whenever I wrote the book was, let me just tell people what they really need to know, get to the point and leave out all the rest. Cause time is precious, especially when you work in, in this type of field. Absolutely. Time is, time is absolutely precious when you're, when you're working in the field. What, what are some of those, those times that you needed uh, to use de-escalation in your, and, and, and your profession? Sure. Um, I actually, my, my history in law enforcement is working more with incarcerated individuals. So I worked with our local sheriff's office inside of our detention center. And I also worked for the department of public safety prisons in North Carolina for quite some time, Um, you know, especially working, I I feel more so in earlier in my career, you know, when you're kind of that, um, that patrol officer or, you know, kind of lower on the totem pole, you're working directly with those individuals. 
So it really takes a lot of trial and error. If you don't know how to communicate with people, you really learn pretty fast. Um, you know, when I teach officers or, or anyone really de-escalation skills who have had, you know, been working in their profession for, you know, 10, 15, 20 years, they kind of already know what to say and do because they've, they've said the wrong things and they say, okay, well, make a mental note. Maybe I shouldn't say things those that way, or maybe I should change my tone or, so I would, I would say the biggest story that sticks out to me is I had a woman come in and, you know, especially in county detention, most people are under the influence. I had this woman who was, you know, very drunk and, um, we had to dress them out and take them to the back, right? You got to get them in their jumpsuit, get them back to the cell for the night. And this woman was just calling me every name in the book. She was talking about my mama. I mean, she was trying to tear me down. And so that's why, you know, I also talk a lot about just confidence and not taking anything personally, especially if you're de-escalating you know, a, a customer or, you know, a client or something like that. You know, you have to be able to separate, you know, this person is going through something. It's not about me right now and kind of having to rise above that. So by just keeping my body language very calm, taking, you know, leaving my tone very calm, um, she, she wasn't happy. She, I don't think when we ended our interaction and she got back to her cell that she was happy, but she was cursing me out the whole time while complying. You know, you mother F and blah, blah, blah. But she's putting on her pants. She's putting on her shirt. She's walking with me to where she needs to be. So, if you know, and it's the same with kids, right? When you tell a kid, you know, go clean your room. And they sometimes want to have the last word. And we say, oh, well, that little smart Alec, whatever. But as long as they're cleaning their room, let them fuss. Let them say, oh, I hate this. How can mom, blah, 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 blah. If they're doing it, that is the goal. They're getting it done. So I would say um, really just knowing when to react and respond and when not to. And you really can't let people hit your triggers because then you're kind of going the, the opposite of what you need to do. You are here to de-escalate this person. If you are not de-escalated yourself, it's never going to work. We're never going to find common ground. Absolutely. And, you know, it has it, it had to have been really difficult when you first started out, like working in a de-escalation and really being able to get that person from here down to here, even if they're still running their mouth. Was it pretty difficult for you for the first first few times? I actually think for me, it comes a lot naturally, a lot more naturally. And I think, um, and no offense to men, but I think that women, like we, we can take the time. We are very patient. Um, I, I just kind of noticed that women are better at de-escalation or maybe it comes more naturally to them, but it really just, it's, depends on the type of person that you are. It really comes down to, you know, if you're actually here to help people. And again, you have to have a type of confidence and self-esteem that you're going to go in this in, into this situation and be able to help this person and, and get them to, you know, a place of calm. They might not be happy, but just getting them to a, a place of calm is yeah. really important. I know for me, I've been in kind of bo both of the scenarios that you explained where, you know, on your end, where I was really calm, you know, and I was able to help de-escalate the situation. And I've been on the other one and where I'm like, you motherfucker, like <laughs> it's bad. Right. Yeah. Um, but you know, I have, a, I have a much greater appreciation now for being able to de-escalate situations and, and take people, you know, meet people where they're at, but then bring them back down. Right. Because yeah. it's it, like, like you said, it, we, we have to look at the situation and say, it's not about us. Like yeah. they might be just going through some shit and it may be a bad day for them. 
or maybe a bad week, month, year, whatever. And we don't know their life outside of what we're seeing in front of us. So being able to really help that person de-escalate and calm down is, is very beneficial. And especially, you know, if I'm trying to help someone, if I'm trying to de-escalate someone, the more information that I know, the better. But if I go into this situation with an attitude, being disrespectful, how much information are you actually going to tell me? You know, it, it, it's rapport building. It's gaining that trust. And it's really important. My eye contact, my body language, my tone, you know, 70 to 90 percent of our communication is just body language. You know, it could be crossed arms. It could be, you know, just scrolling your brow and squinting that someone, you know, sees that and they're like, oh, she's irritated. She doesn't care about me. She doesn't want to help me. So we really have to be very conscious of our body language, what we're saying. And again, this person might be upset. They might raise their voice. But the minute you raise your voice, you're in a fighting match and you're not getting anywhere. So everything is very tactical when it comes to de-escalation. Absolutely. And it sounds like a, you have you have a bit of active listening in there, too. As well. Absolutely. Absolutely. I always told um, law enforcement now or, or anybody, you have two ears and one mouth. We should be listening more than we speak, you know, letting and sometimes just letting someone vent and get it out, not interrupting, just being patient, hearing them out can de-escalate a situation very quickly. Sometimes you don't have to say anything at all, but empathizing you know, wow, I, I'm really thankful that you just told me that. Thank you for sharing that, you know, and thanking that person for sharing that information, because it probably is heavy information. It probably is information that they haven't told a lot of people. And so to just just to kind of know that you've built that trust and rapport. And and now they're saying, hey, I'm going to let this person help me because they're confident in their abilities and they seem knowledgeable about what they're doing. And they're actually showing me the respect. Respect goes such a long way. Absolutely. Now, for the people that, that don't know, what is active listening? Yeah, so so there's a difference between there's a difference between hearing and listening, right? We all can hear, but are we actually trying to understand? Active listening is listening to understand, and I'm guilty of it too. Um, I've had a lot of conversations where someone's been, you know, talking, and I'm, I'm automatically thinking about what am I going to respond with? What am I going to follow up with? And I've let someone vent before, and I've said. Oh, well, did, like you try to jump in, right, to interrupt and you're not getting in there. And, and I've had to tell myself, like, what's the point of doing that? You know, let me just let me take a breath. Let me sit back. Let me have this person give me all the information. And, and silence can truly be your friend, too. Sometimes when I'm de-escalating someone, they'll actually stop and kind of wait for a response or wait for me to ask a follow up question. And I might just take another two or three seconds and just kind of shake my head, let them know I'm following. And they might actually jump in and continue talking more. So I'm actually getting more information because I'm giving them that space to speak. Absolutely. And I found, I found that a lot of people that we do de-escalate have all these problems, right? Or, or will have problems. And they, they don't seem to have a solution for those problems. But yep. when you start to actively listen to them and give them that space, they talk through the problem to get to the yep. solution. Yeah. And they've already found the solution. You don't have to say a damn thing. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and I mean, a crisis can be anything and a crisis can be different for everybody. Um, my definition of a crisis and your definition of a crisis can be two completely different things. It's just what can't I cope with in that moment? And um, 
I just think when it comes to crisis, we really just need, we just really need to be listening to each other more. It really is important. Um, and, and empathizing, you know, I, I might not like, for example, I've never, I've never been in a situation where I couldn't pay my light bill and my lights are potentially going to get shut off. Okay. I've never been in that situation, but I can empathize with someone in that situation because they're going to tell me, you know, I'm scared. I don't know what to do. I have these kids that I need to take care of. Like they need electricity. They need hot water. I don't know what that is like personally, but I have children. I have, you know, I have loved ones. I have a home and to try to imagine like, what would that be like if I didn't have enough money and my utilities were being threatened, cut off, what would I feel like? I would probably feel just like this person is right now you know, anxious, in a panic, worried. So if you can relate to that feeling, whatever it is, um, gain, uh, uh, shame, embarrassment, guilt, sadness, um, if you can get to that feeling, you know, we all know what feelings feel like. We just have to relate. You know, you don't have to live the exact situation. You just have to be able to relate to what that person is feeling. Absolutely. I, I would agree 100%. Um, and now I think sometimes in society we get empathy and sympathy mixed up. What, what, what are the differences between the two? Yeah. Um, I think sympathy a lot of times is, you know, I feel bad for you. Um, I think sympathy a lot of times is, well, if you need anything, let me know. You know, how many times has someone said, if you need anything, let me know. And, and we're not going to say, oh, well, you know what? I really need this. We, yeah. we rarely do that. Um, you know, if you know somebody's going through something, maybe they're grieving. Hey, um, I want to bring you a meal this week. What day works for you? You know, really being proactive. Um, it, it it just goes so much further. It's it, it's it's not even you know, like I said, you don't even have to go through the same thing. It's just a matter of you know how you feel. And and we could honestly, we could experience the same thing. And, and it could we both could be feeling completely different. You could have lost a parent. You know, I could have lost a parent. But our relationships with our parents could be very different. So I never want to compare. Oh, well, I remember when I lost my father, you know, I felt like this and I did this. Nobody wants to hear your advice in that moment. All they really want to do is be heard, empathizing, active listening in that moment. You're going to build a bigger connection than anything you could possibly say or any advice that you think you need to give in that moment. Oh, absolutely. It goes, it kind of looks like, uh, like a charity case versus you really caring about somebody, you exactly. know, like, yeah. Oh, I can do, I can, you know, problem solve for you versus, Hey, I'm here. Yeah. And, and I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to be the best available person for you. Well, and, then, and then think about how that person could even respond. You know, I start saying, well, when my dad died last, you know, last year and you're like, oh, well, you know, my dad died 10 years ago. I guess you got to spend more time with your dad than I spent with my dad. So I shouldn't be so upset. My dad just died. Like, you see how you can kind yeah. of dig yourself into a hole there. Um, and, but we all really kind of worry what to, about what to say in those moments. It can be really difficult. But that's the thing. You don't have to say a whole lot. You just have to listen. And even if you even if you just end by saying, I don't even know what to tell you right now, but I'm just really glad that you felt like you could tell me, you know, is going to make that person feel like they just confided in someone who truly cares. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, back getting back to uh, de-escalation, what do you feel is the hardest part? outside of, out, outside of, you know, um, 
removing yourself and your emotions out of de-escalation? Because I know it's hard for me, but what do you feel is personally hard for you? I just think we're all human and we never know what that one kind of trigger could be, what that one word is that really makes someone upset. I think when it comes to, um, I think teamwork is really important in de-escalation. And I think you almost have to have that team member with you. Um, if I'm de-escalating someone and I'm starting to get upset, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm having the opposite effect of what I'm trying to do. So having that team member just kind of standing back and saying, um, hey, Tiffany, uh, let me take it from here. You know, just, you know, let me take up recognizing that I'm in distress. You know, I'm having some issues right now. I'm getting escalated and saying, OK, Tiffany, let me take over from here. And same if, you know, my partner was de-escalating, something was going on. I see. I have I can't tell you how many times I've been de-escalating someone and it's calm. And that one person just walks in the door and they are at a 10 again. So I, I think it's a matter of knowing when you can help and knowing when you can't help, because sometimes you just can't be the one. And especially if, you know, maybe I'm a woman and I've been sexually assaulted. I might not want to talk to a man. You know, I might be more comfortable with a woman. You have been in the military. You might be more comfortable talking to someone who's had that lived experience, who is a veteran. So just kind of knowing what does this person need? Who might they be better to relate to? Finding the right person to deescalate, I think, is the biggest challenge. And also there are some people who just really shouldn't take the lead on de-escalation. There are just a lot of people who, who truly don't have this in them. It's, it's a gift in a lot of ways. I can teach a lot of skills, but you have to want it. And you kind of have to have that gift a lot of ways to really be able to be that, to be very successful. Oh, absolutely. I would agree hundred percent. I think for me, like my, what my biggest obstacle is, is um, being afraid to say the wrong thing. Right. Yeah. And I, I think that is the most terrifying for me is like, saying that wrong thing because I can have the best intentions at heart and, and, and come out and, and say everything that's on my heart or, you know, um, or listen to them with, with all the intention in the world. But if I say that one thing, it, it, it could take everything and flip it sideways and I, I could have lost yeah. their trust, uh, all that stuff. So but here, but, but you know what, Sean, here is, here is where a lot of people have a problem is because, they feel like they're, you know, they're in control. They're the one taking the lead on de-escalation. They, they can't very well apologize. No. You know, some people have this ego where they just can't say like, I, I'm sorry, I didn't, I didn't mean it that way. I wasn't trying to upset you. You know, there's nothing wrong with humbling yourself and apologizing. And it's really hard for some people to do that. It truly is. But there's nothing wrong if you feel like you said the wrong thing. If someone gets upset, you know, and using their name. Using some people's first names are their favorite word. That's their favorite word in the world. Using their name. Sean, I saw it upset you. I, I really just want to help you. You know, I, I care about what's going on, Sean. Let, let's just figure this out. So there's nothing wrong if you feel like you said the wrong thing in apologizing and even saying, like, let's start over. You know, let's do this again. Absolutely. I would agree 100%. What do you think that people's favorite word is their own name? I mean, you think about it, you can be in a loud room. Someone says, Sean, you know, you, it, you usually can catch it. Um, you know, it's one of the first things that we that we hear when we're a baby. It's one of the first words that we learn to write. 
um, it just really gets our attention. It's our name. It's our identifier. So the more you can use someone's name when you're de-escalating, the better. Because the, because when you hear our own name, there is this sense of like humanizing us, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, one of the things that I, I wanted to ask about, and I think it's really important for, for the listeners to understand, is what is a crisis intervention team? I know what it is. Yeah. But from your experience, what is a crisis intervention team? Yeah. So um, across the country, there are a lot of law enforcement agencies that really um, promote crisis intervention training. And not a lot of people know when they call 911 if they need law enforcement, they can say, hey, can you send a CIT officer? This is someone who's been um, more trained in being able to recognize, respond and de-escalate those situations. Um, so I think asking for a CIT officer is really important because, you know, not everybody loves when law enforcement shows up to their door. Right. So even just letting law enforcement know, hey, this is a mental health call um, that kind of puts the officer in the mind of, OK, this person, you know, they're probably not dangerous. If there's if there's a weapon, obviously they might go in a little bit different if it's someone you know, threatening suicide. They want to be safe. Um, but a lot of times these these calls are very, um, you know, routine. And, you know, I know every time something goes bad, when we hear about a school shooting, we want to say, oh, it was mental health. It was mental health. It was mental health. The majority of people who have mental health diagnoses will never be violent or dangerous. There's not a correlation between between those two things. But I think just, you know, knowing that you um, that CIT officers are available, letting the, the 911 operator know that you would like that it is a CIT call, it's mental health. Um, there's also a lot of um, uh, programs in place now through law enforcement agencies where they may send a social worker to some of these lower, lower level um, like welfare checks and things like that. Um, solicitation, some of these, you know, lower crimes that, you know, maybe someone with a gun doesn't need to respond to. So, I mean, there's there's a lot of things that we're that we're um, kind of working with law enforcement assisted diversion programs where, you know, if you are um, maybe uh, have substance use disorder and you, you're arrested, they might just hold that charge over your head and say, hey, you know what, we're going to have you go through this program. We want you to get clean. We want you to get help. And as soon as you complete that program, we're going to go ahead and drop those charges. Those programs are excellent. I'm, I'm so glad that that's something that you've been able to participate in because it really is where we see change. It's th that program is a lifesaver, you know, uh, complete 100%. It revolutionized the way that I think and my behaviors and the way that I act. And it's not because I was afraid to go to jail, but it was, it was, I needed to get better and I needed it for myself and for other people. Yeah. And especially, you know, being a veteran, having to, to come back and, and figure out how to live again when you're not the same person that you were, you know, oh, yeah. it's like you kind of need a program like that to kind of teach you like how to live and to build your self-esteem. And, and so I think that's that's fantastic. I'd love right. to see more programs like that start popping up across the U.S. There's actually four thousand, if I if I'm not wrong, four thousand different uh therapeutic courts drug courts mental health courts around the country and it's insane how many people there are and so it's i can't I got, I got chills just now thinking about it but like when you go to like a recovery court and you see these people who you know they, they might be graduating from the program that day and their parents are there you know their parents who you know 
disowned them a lot of times because of substance use, because of what happened. And then to see them clean and to stand up and cheer and hug their parents. And they're so proud. It's one of the most beautiful things. And, and we've, we've been trying to, you know, address substance use and mental health with the criminal justice system for so long. And it's not working. It's not working. Punishing people, throwing them in a cell is not what we need. We need services. We need programs. We need resources because we were all raised different. We all came from different backgrounds. Not everybody knows the things that you know. You know, not everybody knows, oh, I, I, sh I need to, you know, clean my house. I need to wash dishes. Like, you know, just the, some of the most basic things. Um, not everybody knows. And, and that's what we kind of have to keep in mind. And, and there's always room to learn. And we have to have more programs like this to help teach some people who, who want to do better, but just might not know how. I absolutely agree. You know, I, I was one of those people prior to getting in trouble with the law where I looked at people and I said, people are inherently bad. That's why they're in jail. Right. And then I myself experienced it. And I'm like, no, we've just made bad decisions, right? We we've just made some pretty shit decisions in life and we've, you know, continued that trend and no, there hasn't been an intervention to stop us. There hasn't been, uh, there, there hasn't been somebody to break the cycle or allow us to break the cycle. The rate of recidivism is just super high because people keep reoffending, and then boom, when when clearly somebody's going into jail, you know, because they they've been caught with drugs, they've been caught with you know drinking and driving, DUIs, they've been mm -hmm. uh, you know they've been out and about and and you know running amok, but they haven't really been given that opportunity to change their life. They've been released from jail and say, hey, good luck. But you're going right back to what you know versus right. getting into a recovery program to right. help you to help you gain sobriety, gain tools and skills. Maybe you don't want that. Maybe that's something that you don't want. But the services are are available. Yeah, and then you know the number one factor that we see reduced recidivism. Do you know what that is? Yep. A job. Yep. Having a job, having employment. Okay, so now I've been incarcerated and I get out. I don't have a license. Right. I might be on probation. I've applied for this job, but they don't hire felons like it's things like that, that we really have to be taking a look at, because if we want people to truly heal, they have to be working. And especially now in these times, I hear nobody wants to work. Nobody wants to work. People want to work. It's just we have to be able to, to have them qualified, get the job and then be able to have the transportation actually get there. I don't know if you've ever had to take in like a, a, a city bus line or a county bus line. It is, it is, some of us never had to experience that. So we don't realize how difficult that is, but somebody might have to get up, you know, two hours earlier to just catch the bus so that they can get to this stop so they can get on this line. And, you know, it, it, it's very difficult. And, and if we can address some of those challenges, transportation, jobs, you know, we would see people do a lot better and recidivism would totally decrease. Absolutely. Because as a society, we, we, uh, we, we look at purpose and we say, okay, what gives us purpose? Work, work gives us purpose, you know? Um, so, so if they don't have, I've, I've had participants that I work with that gave up on the program because they couldn't get a job because they were in the program because, and, and this was a job to help them sustain, not even get ahead, but sustain yeah. their living. They could not fulfill the responsibility of the courts and have a sustained, sustained, sustaining job. And it's like, well, 
now we're sending people right back into into that hamster wheel that they're running into because we're not giving them the opportunity to thrive along with meet the requirements of the court yep it's just it's absolutely insane but uh i was i I lived in alaska before i I don't know that i mentioned that Um, i lived in alaska before and we were talking just a few minutes ago about uh about the uh, crisis intervention teams and our, you know, Alaska's looked a whole lot different than everybody else's. It was, I think it was, it was one police officer, uh, one, um, one case manager, a peer support, uh, an EMS worker, as well as a firefighter. So like, it was just five people going out there and because it, it's like, you get a mental health call. Okay. What service does this person actually need? And then right. they can, they can help assist. But I mean, you want to talk about rural because I've been to Alaska as well. It's beautiful, but there's what, like nine major highways in Alaska and it's huge. So uh, they have one of the highest suicide rates. I mean, with it just being so rural, not a lot of services, not a lot of um, kind of opportunity in some of these areas. um, Absolutely. That makes it so much more challenging. Yeah. And so, so, you know, um, that that's that's how that's why it's so cool to look at the the different structures of of the different crisis intervention teams and the way that we do things because it's completely different based off of off of like a big city like you take a population of a million people and those services are going to look different from a aurora area like alaska whereas you've got it you have less people in one state than you do in the whole city of new york yeah, city. yeah. It's, it's insane absolutely mm-hmm. insane so we're gonna we're gonna Switch well, just just okay. to kind of add, add, add one more thing to that, you know, and we saw this during COVID with kids is you also have to have internet access, you know, getting internet. Some of these rural areas in North Carolina still don't have internet. So even if I don't have the option or transportation to, to go to see a therapist or a psychologist or a psychiatrist, if I don't have internet, that throws out the whole virtual option of some type of virtual therapy or support group. So that's another issue we see in those rural areas. Oh, that's, you're, you're not lying there. You're not lying there. It's the resources, mm-hmm. <laughs> the lack of resources. Yep. But uh, anyways, we're going to switch gears and we're going to talk about something that I I love to talk about. And I'm not saying I, I love to specifically talk about it. It's one of those things I like to talk about, self-care. Okay. And and you and you're also another subject matter expert in self-care. What exactly is self-care? Yeah, um, and 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 I think that that word self-care is kind of getting diluted. We use that. Oh, you just need some self-care. You just need some self-care. Well, what the heck does that even mean, right? Yeah. Self-care is just essentially anything that you're going to do to your, for yourself to make you to make you feel better. Um, you know, if I'm if I'm sitting at my computer and I'm frustrated, I'm getting, you know, have to answer a lot of emails or something, I might say, you know, because we've all probably responded in a way we shouldn't to an email that we probably should have just more for a little bit. But even just saying, okay, right now I'm gonna walk outside with my dog, stroll around the garden, get a little bit of sunshine, maybe feel the grass beneath my feet. What that makes me feel good. Um, you know, if I, I get off work, I'm really stressed, like, oh, I just had such a long day. I just need to transition into relaxing. What do I want to do right now? I think I'm going to go take a bubble bath, like finding those little things and, you know, hobbies that can be a hobby too. Um, when I'm outside gardening, I get lost. I don't know if it's one o'clock, two o'clock, five o'clock. So I always say finding those things that you get lost in, um, that's, that's truly an item of self-care. It doesn't necessarily have to be a thing, 
Um, and, and one of the, the topics I talk about in my book that is really uh, a blueprint to live by is called MEDS, M-E-D-S. So the M stands for meditation, um, which is also very scary for a lot of people because they're like, oh, just let me put on my Birkenstocks and my patchouli and mm, like that's not, it's not, you know, it's kind of... Yeah. It's this way that we, we think whenever we hear the word meditation and it can just be so simple. It could just be sitting in silence. How often do we ever sit in silence? How often do you actually take some time to not have music, not have a television, not have a cell phone ringing, text messages coming through, but actually just sitting in silence um, and taking some deep breaths? You know, you don't have to sit cross-legged on the floor. You can sit in a chair, just, you know, feet on the floor, hands in your lap, just taking some deep breaths. It could be five minutes, 10 minutes, 20 minutes. One of the things that's interesting about meditation though, is, is it's, it's a lot like, you know, running a marathon. It, it probably is going to be very difficult to do at first. And especially if you are worrisome, if you um, maybe have a lot of trauma, sometimes sitting in silence with your own thoughts brings up a whole lot of feelings and emotions, but it also brings up a lot of clarity. And, you know, that's the thing about the brain. The brain is meant to think the same way the heart is meant to beat. The lungs are meant to breathe. Not everything that comes just because you think it doesn't mean it's true. Right. Um, so sitting with those thoughts, letting them come in, letting them pass. If it's a positive you know, thought, acknowledging it. If it's a negative thought, kind of why is it here and pushing it out. Um, but but just like running a marathon, I can't run five miles. If you were like, go run five miles, I would have to run and walk and stop. And it would take a little while. But with meditation, same thing. I might do it for five minutes. Then the next day I, I might try for 10 minutes and then for 15 minutes, especially when it came to a lot of content with that book. Sometimes we think we have to be looking for information. When I just meditated and I thought about, you know, writing my book and the, the things I want in, I wanted to be in it. I got so much more inspiration from sitting in silence and just letting those ideas come than sitting here writing, searching on the internet. Like, what do I want to add? So meditation is so powerful. Looking inward, being alone with our thoughts, sitting in silence. It's just relaxing. I mean, if you have high blood pressure, check it before you meditate and check it after you meditate. You'll notice that your blood pressure has gone down. My heart, I, I, I go all the time. I'll sit down to meditate and I'll feel like my heart's about to beat out of my chest. But then I sit there and I listen to maybe the birds outside and take those few deep breaths. I feel the fan, you know, blowing in my hair. And, you know, by the end of that meditation, I'm calm and my heart is just back to normal again. And it's just a nice transition into, you know, the next step or whatever you're doing next. So I also uh, recommend a really great free resource. There's a ton, a ton of different apps out there for meditation, um, but there's one called Insight Timer. Um, it's a big gold bowl. You'll see the little icon, but insight timer, you can actually go in there, choose whether you got five, 10, 15, however much time you have and choose a guided meditation. Um, and it doesn't even have to be a guided meditation. It could be a sound. I personally, everyone thinks this is so funny. I love listening to monks chant. If you've ever listened to some monks chant and the the, the bowls and the boom, like there's something about it that's just so soothing and so calming. Maybe for you, it's it's water, you know, listening to the rain or, or a waterfall or something. But just finding that that sound that relaxes you and can kind of get you in the zone for a little bit. For me, when I meditate for 20 minutes, 
I actually feel like I had a power nap. You know, it, it, it really is um, rejuvenating in a lot of ways. So definitely check out or try meditation if um, you've never had an opportunity opportunity for that. So that's the M in meds. The E is going to be exercise. I know I, I, that word scares me too. I don't always like it, but I go to the gym because I know I have to. I'm, you know, going to be 40 in a couple of years. So I know these are things that I need to do to stay well. And I feel better. You know, I don't always feel good when I go to the gym. But I've never left the gym and say, oh, I feel really terrible. You know, you just got to do it. You got to do it. And it could just be a 30 minute walk outside, you know, just moving your body, stretching, whatever that looks like. Just making sure that you're moving your body for at least 30 minutes a day. The D is for diet. Nobody likes that either. Uh, And that doesn't mean necessarily being on a diet, but, you know, it's a balance. You know, uh, maybe I'm going to have this piece of cake today. So maybe that will be my lunch or, you know, I had fast food last night. So maybe I'll have a salad tonight. You know, really just finding that balance, staying away from, you know, a lot of starches or processed food. We know that's terrible for us, too. But again, it's all about balance. And I I know I feel better when I eat better, too. And then finally, um, sleep is the S. Uh, sleep is actually a a big part of my book as well, because when I was working at the detention center, I was working a lot of different shifts. I was working night shift. I was very sleep deprived. And I actually had a nervous breakdown on the job. Um, I went to therapy for the first time after, um, after having that nervous breakdown, we talked a little bit about things for me. I was general, I was diagnosed with generalized anxiety disorder. I like to work. I like to go. I like to be doing things. But just like anyone else, I can take on too much and burn out. Um, So sleep is so incredibly important. I know um, a lot of my anxiety came from a lack of sleep because once I got a really great doctor and a good provider, which is also important to say, um, just you might decide that this doctor isn't for you. It might take two or three doctors to find the right one. But actually finding someone that sits down and listens to you and doesn't just want to, okay, say, ah, all right, you need a refill. Here you go. But finding someone that actually listens to you. And when I found that doctor that actually listened to me and she said, well, Tiffany, do you think that the reason why your anxiety is so high is because you're not sleeping well? And I said, possibly. She said, okay, well, let's address sleep. Let's, Let's make sure you sleep, you know, a good solid eight hours throughout the night and um, see if that helps. And after a few months of getting restful sleep at night, I was able to go off my anxiety medications. Now, that's not to say that's for everybody, but we really don't give sleep enough credit for what it does for our body, our physical and emotional well-being. We need sleep. We got to make sure we're getting it. Oh, my God. You're speaking my language. All of it. You are. Uh, You know, the meditation. uh, Meditation has helped me through some of the hardest times in my life. Right. Some of the times where I had that big question mark in front of a situation that I couldn't answer. And I'm like, what do I do? Meditation. Boom. Meditation. You talked about being with yourself for five, 10, 15 minutes. Yeah, that's an absolute must. Shutting the world out. That's an absolute must. I sometimes I turn on ASMR because it's like triggers my brain and it helps me out. Sometimes I'll throw on guided meditation. Other times I'll be completely quiet and just listen to what's happening outside. You know, the cars passing by. You know, help me out. But meditation, you know, can act, can answer a lot of our, our of our problems that we have if we just pay attention to it. You know, yeah. um, and I, I used to be one of those people. that's like meditation. Oh, 
I gotta be yeah. quiet. I have to be quiet. No, but I love it. I love it. I try to med- meditate at least once a day. Yeah. At least once a day. Um, on a good day, it's like two times a day. <laughs> it's like before I, before I start my day, and then when when I'm closing my day out, or you know, sometimes in the middle, depending. Um, and so, yeah, I exercise. I try to get out and walk around the block. Uh, you know, sometimes spend some time out out and about in the sun. And I think that's another big one: is the sun. Yes, vitamin D. Vitamin D can can change the perspective of your life. Um. And, and diet, you know, you, you hit it right on the head. I, I think that, you know, I, I know when I've eaten like shit, <laughs> I feel like shit. But yeah. then when I, when you eat healthy and you start bringing in the, 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 the necessary, uh, the, the necessary supplements into your body and, and what, what our body needs to, to survive and to thrive, you start to feel better. You don't feel like yeah. bloated and all that nasty stuff. And then, uh, and then finally, uh, sleep. When I was in the army, I absolutely hated the idea of sleep. I was like, sleep, I don't need it. I don't need sleep. I can survive on caffeine and tobacco. <laughs> oh, gosh. Yeah. That was, that was actually not letting you sleep well, too, caffeine and tobacco. Absolutely. Wow. Absolutely. And I got to that point where I had a suicide attempt, and there was all these questions like, okay, my mental health isn't is in check. Boom. Okay. Well, it's not really in check because there's some life events happening. Uh, you know, at the time I was drinking, that's another one. Uh, but another thing was I wasn't sleeping. I was diagnosed with insomnia, and they weren't trying to help me figure out why I was wasn't sleeping. They're just saying you have insomnia, dude, and this is how it's gonna be. And it wasn't until uh, I met a counselor outside the military that said, "Dude, you have to go to sleep." Like sleep is not going to sleep's not just going to help solve some of these problems, but it's going to help heal your brain. It's going to help heal your body. It's going to reset everything that you have so that you feel refreshed and rejuvenated. And that's why a lot of people, you know, uh, when, when we get to the to the points where we far, start to feel like we're, we want to relapse, they ask, OK, the halts, hungry, angry, lonely or tired. Right. If one of those four is off or more than four are off, then there could be a potential problem in the future. Absolutely. So you, you're speaking my language. Great. I love it. And I love the I love Halt M, too. I, I only touch on that. Why well, I, I actually have Halt and then I added an M at the end because, you know, I know we ask, are you hungry? Because hunger can cause a mental health crisis, um, angry, lonely, tired. But also that M is medicine. You know, especially if it's a mental health crisis and asking someone like, do you take any medication? Have you taken any medication today? Um, You know, that because a lot of times, especially when it comes to mental health, there's a lot of reasons why folks don't take their medication. It could be cost um, or it could be a matter of I took this medication and, you know, now I think I feel better. So I don't need it anymore. I'm going to go off of it. And then they kind of spiral and go into crisis. So. Um, yeah, I, I, I love asking that because I know that even just that that halt, right? If I'm hungry, I'm angry. You know, a- anybody is. Think about that. Um, angry. If you're angry, you're probably going to start acting a certain way. Lonely. Loneliness is, you know, such a trigger for crisis for a lot of people. And then tired. We already talked about the importance of sleep. But, you know, I think it's uh, an episode of Seinfeld where like Elaine... I had to stay up all night or something for an appointment. And like, finally she starts like 
like hallucinating, like seeing shadows. And I can't tell you how many times I've been there too. I remember driving home from like a 12 hour night shift, so sleep deprived and like slamming on the brakes. Cause I think I'm about to hit a deer and it's a mailbox. Oh, that's <laughs> You know what I mean? If you think about, I love what you said about healing your brain, but even if you think about your, your brain is like a, as a cell phone, right? You have to charge your phone every night or it's not going to work. It's not going to work effectively. And you start seeing it down in that red, you know, something's wrong, right? Uh Uh-oh, I better get some charge. That's what it is with sleep. We've got to be able to charge our brain. That is how we function. And if we get enough sleep, that's how we function well. Absolutely. I find it funny that we, that people have coined the term hangry, right? They're like, I'm so hangry and we rush to go get food, right? We rush to go get food, but they're not saying the same for lonely and tired, right? Like lonely, loneliness. When we get to that point of being lonely, we start to feel comfortable in that loneliness. Yeah. And then when we're tired, we, oh, if I just drink another energy drink, as I'm drinking a Celsius, um, <laughs> hey, let's just drink another energy drink. It'll wake us right up. But you're yeah. def- you're literally defeating the purpose of going to sleep. Yeah. At that point, you're throwing. There's really crap. there's really not, nothing impressive about like staying up late to me. <laughs> you know, when you're in your early twenties, like yeah, I can go all night. Now I'm like, I need to be in bed by ten. Okay, I need my beauty rest. <laughs> you yeah. don't want to talk to me tomorrow if I don't get a good night's sleep tonight. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, my girlfriend was like, oh, I go to bed. I'm in bed by like eight thirty, nine o'clock. And when I first met her, I was like, what, what you're si- Are you serious? You're in bed by eight or nine o'clock. And then I started falling into that routine and I was like, I've got to get to bed by eight 30 now. Like I have to be laying in bed by eight 30 relaxing or else. The, uh, I mean, there's like one or two nights a week where I, I have to stay up because I have groups that I run in Alaska. But like, I have to be in bed by eight thirty or nine o'clock because if I'm not, the rest of my night is going to be screwed up, and then the next day is going to be screwed up, and then I'm going to have to f- jump back in that cycle. So, yeah, absolutely, I adore sleep. There's now. something there's something to be said about routine as well, whether it's sleep or whatever it is. Like your brain loves a pattern, so anytime you can have a routine in place, that's going to be a real big benefit to your mental health. Absolutely. So, next question, and and I think the final question. Uh, what is, what is self-care not? Cause we talked about what self-care is, what is not self-care, um, self-care is not, I'm going to have a, a drink to relax me. <laughs> um, drugs and alcohol are going to have the opposite effect. Um, yeah, self-care is not selfish. Um, and just, just really think of self-care as anything I can do for myself. Um, that's really what I think about. What do you think self-care is not? I, I would agree with you, but I would throw in self-care is not what you're supposed to be doing normally. Right. So like if, for me, if, if self-care is not going to counseling, because that is something that I, that, that I, I have to do that as a part of my schedule. Mm-hmm. Self-care is is not me going to an AA meeting because I have to do that to maintain my recovery. What self-care is for me is what I do to remove myself from a situation that might be stressful, that might that that might give me anxiety, that might bring on depression, that changes my mindset just a little bit so that it influences the way that I act later on. Yeah. And, and and it sounds like when you said that, that's also setting boundaries, yeah. which is really important. 
Yeah. I mean, but self-care looks different for everybody. So it's not like, I'm not saying that Tiffany's wrong or the next person's wrong. Like, but for me, self-care, you know, self-care is meditation. Love it. Absolutely. I will run to meditation anytime. Self-care is walking around the block, you know, walking around town. Cause I, I live in a small enough town where like I can walk around town and see everything I need to see and come back home in a half an hour. You know, uh, self-care for me is, is turning on the radio full blast, even though it's going to mess my ears up. And listening to something that I really enjoy, cooking is self-care for me. Even though I'm going to eat the food, cooking brings me joy because I'm able to escape from wherever I'm at mentally, emotionally. And I can put my love and my intention into the food for the people to eat. Yeah, I love that. Just other, That's just a few things. I have a laundry list of self-care. Yeah, and, and, and along with, I mean, I know you, we, we talk meditation, but mindfulness, which is something a little bit different, but... I am a very mindful person and people ask me like, how are you so positive all the time? But honestly, I really appreciate the smallest things, um, you know, an ice cold glass of water, you know, just, oh, this is so nice. Like how many people in the world do not have access to clean water? You know, if you could just notice things like that, like how lucky am I to have this right now? Just, um, you know, playing with my nephew and, you know, as much as it's like, oh, come on, Aunt Tiff, I wanted to come on, Aunt Tiff, you know, he's not going to be this little forever. You know, this this silly little boy who just wants to go like kick a ball out in the yard, even though I'm tired, let me go do that. Because this is the little, these are the little things that are so important. Uh, The more that you can recognize all of those little things and tiny blessings in your life, really, the more happy you're going to be overall emotionally. Absolutely. I used to hear when I was younger, uh, even in my early 20s, like live in the moment. I'm like, what? I'm here, right? Like that's in the moment, but it's completely different mindset. It's being mindful, being present in the moment. And for me, that's one of my biggest things right now in life is being present in the moment and really being grateful for the things that are happening in that moment, even though they may not be great, but being, being able to be in that moment and experience that and be a part of that moment, even if it's only a a ripple in time. Yeah. I mean, how many of us have had like an event or something? I mean, I think about like a wedding, right? Um, Someone, bridezilla or whatever. And she's so worried that she didn't even enjoy it. I actually kind of felt that way on Easter this year, I hosted it at my house and, you know, I wanted everything to be perfect. And I was so focused on, do you want some coffee? How about a slice of pie? Da, da, that I really never sat down and had a conversation with anybody. And so that was kind of something that I noted, you know, this will not happen at the next holiday. I'm going to enjoy it. I'm going to connect with the people that I love because that's what it's all about. That's what we're going to remember is, is the memories and how we made each other feel not, you know, did aunt Linda have an extra slice of pie? how hot was that coffee madam (laughs) yeah absolutely absolutely i uh i've enjoyed this conversation i really have Uh, this has been this has been really fun and 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 i appreciate you having me because like i said i i don't think a lot of people know what de-escalation is um there's a lot of of you know people who are taking de-escalation now that i feel like it's just like maybe a part of their job oh yeah we have to do six hours of this every year but i don't want people to look at it as like you know something that that that's a that's hard that's a task because i'm telling you just having these skills aren't aren't just going to help you on the job they're going to help you in your personal life as well because knowing how to talk to people how to listen to people and how to communicate 
that's really, you know, where the bread is buttered right there. And that's going to, you're going to see that really flourish in all aspects of your life. We have to know how to talk and listen to each other better. Absolutely. I agree hundred percent. Tiffany, where can we find your book and where can we find you? Yeah. Um, my book is available on Amazon, Simply Deescalate by Tiffany Herring. I'm actually going to be on Audible here in a few weeks. So if you don't want to get the book, you can wait for Audible. We'll be launching that soon. Um, and you can follow me on any of my socials at Simply Deescalate. Oh, let me know when it's out on Audible. I'm going to get it. Okay. I, totally I, I, I'll, I'll sit there and I'll listen to it while I'm doing my stuff. Yeah, and I'm really excited about this. I actually um, just added two new chapters, one on trauma responses and one on grief, just because I felt like there was something missing. It was great to like put the skills in this book, but I thought I need to talk a little bit more about trauma responses because that really has to do with how we respond and how we communicate with, with each other. And then grief because we've all grieved something or someone. So, you know, I just thought those were two more, um, you know, elements in there that that will help kind of make the escalation a little bit more clear and, and hopefully get people excited. There's also a section on coloring for self-care. My friend, uh, Stacy Soderholm, she's an artist, Mad Creations by Stacy on Instagram, uh, who made some really beautiful illustrations that you can color. So talking about self-care, coloring can also have that meditative experience. So bust out your crayons and color pencils, learn some skills and uh, color some cool pictures. That's awesome. Thank you for spending time with me, Tiffany. I appreciate it. Thank you, Sean. We'll it's do it again. Really, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> we got to do it again. There's got to be an update. Oh, yeah. So, uh, <laughs> absolutely. Till next time, everybody. Next time. <laughs> next time. I hope everybody has a good day. And I have really enjoyed this. Much love.